But, but mudding is okay. Um, <laughs> that was what you were that doing. That was what I was doing in grad school. Yeah. And, and modding is okay. That's yeah. what I was doing in grad school. And metagaming is okay. Right. And if you're in Dota, midding is okay too. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, what, that's what family's for. <laughs> Welcome to Every Game in This City, a podcast about eight game makers, curators, and researchers who are meeting up in Shanghai for a week to try and watch every game at the International Dota 2 Championships. I'm Li Shanglun. I'm Stephanie Bullitt. I'm Yang Jing. I'm Will Parton. I'm Alexandra Lee. I'm Patrick Lemieux. I'm Peter Nelson. I'm Vilania Liu. It's day five of the International Dota Championships in Shanghai, and PSG LGD finally face off against their TI8 rivals, OG, in one of the most anticipated matches of the tournament. Luckily, TL Taylor joins us to discuss our experiences both inside the stadium during this intense match, and then outside during an equally intense session of bartering for blind boxes, swag bags, and secret shop spoils. Today we have incredible guests with us in the, the studio. Um, so I might just ask you your name and, and who you are. Uh, I'm T.L. Taylor. I'm a professor and sociologist, and I study uh, gaming. <laughs> <laughs> and I know the people. Some people in this room I've known them before. Some new folks. And when we figured out I was going to be here and they were going to be here, I was like, yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, all these kind of connections, not just uh, here in Shanghai, but also in Beijing and in Kyoto,、mm. Japan, for other conferences. Yeah, I think that that's like one of the things that brought a lot of people, at least from the academic arena, through this like series、mm. of countries, is like the International Degree Conference in Kyoto, and then、um, the Chinese、uh, Digital Games Research Conference in. Uh, <laughs> in Beijing,、um, and then the international, right? Because all academics have to drop by the Dota 2 tournament. <laughs> That's the rule. In the neighborhood. <laughs>、um, TL, can you tell us more about, I guess, your history with esports specifically? Yes. So I did、uh, research back from about 2003 to 2011, in very early research on North American and European esports at the time. Um, and really, just honestly, sort of started that project because I had thought a lot about power gamers, like people who played in very instrumental ways, and、mm. that was a part of my prior work. And so when I heard about pro gamers back in two thousand and three, I was like, "What?"、Mm-hmm. And、uh, I went to a I went to a, an event, and there was a guy there in a suit, and I was like, <laughs> "What is this guy doing in a suit in this?" Ramshackle warehouse in Aarhus, Denmark,、mm-hmm. and I went up to him and I said, "Like, oh hi, who are you?" And he's like, "I own a team." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> 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 and thus began、uh, trying to understand esports, not just from that there's players, but that you have to have a whole、mm-hmm. people now say ecosystem.、Mm-hmm. Well, we've used that word a lot. This yeah. What what、um, what game was the team? That was, if my memory serves, that was a 
the national championship for WCG. So whoever won that was going to go on to the World Cyber Games. And was that in Brood War or like StarCraft? Back games then they were probably Warcraft playing Warcraft, StarCraft, and Counter Strike. And did you ever run into Dota like at WCG? Any of those? Did you go multiple years in the mid two yeah, thousands? To WCG, I did. Uh-huh. I don't know that Dota was played mm-hmm. back. I feel in like WCG. I don't. It, it was at one in Singapore, but like one of the side WCGs, and I think that was one of the bigger Dota one. I was just curious if you ever yeah, bumped no. into it. Yeah. The only other Dota tournament I ever went to was a PGL tournament in Boston a few mm. years ago. Yeah, yeah. It's pro gaming league, or yeah, I think that's probably what it's still. I'm looking, I'm looking at Will to see if he yeah. knows. I um, think that sounds like the right. I always called it PGL, but that sounds yeah. like a great acronym. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's been a few PGLs over the course of esports history. Mm-hmm. Um, and what techniques and approaches do you use in your research? Um, I'm a qualitative sociologist, and in the moments where I'm most happy, that's ethnography, and in moments where it's less fulfilled as a method, it's <laughs> qualitative sociology. So, <laughs> so um, something I know is that this is your first time going to the International. Yeah. And, <laughs> which is, <laughs> it is kind of like, wow. Yeah. Well, no, it, it is a wow moment, and I'm sort of a, a curious, one, what took you so long, <laughs> but two, um, you know, what what seems different about this from all the other tournaments where you've done like ethnographic work, participant observation and interviewing? Yeah. Uh, what took me so long is, okay, so part of my method is I, I go where the people I study go. Mm-hmm. And back when I did my esports research, Dota was not, in the worlds at least I was regularly intersecting, Dota was not on the radar. And so, in, in fact, one of the... Um, gaps in my book on esports is there's no fighting game scene stuff in there. Right. And that was also the fighting game scene didn't like to be called esports back then, but that was just not part of my field site. So that's why I never, mm-hmm. I sort of never, it was not where the field was leading me at the time. Mm-hmm. So how's your experience been here in Shanghai watching, I guess, yeah, this, this thing in Chinese? I mean, in some ways, it's much like all big spectacle esports. Yeah. So it's very... Mm-hmm. It's very familiar in some respects. And then, I mean, I literally was only there a few hours today. Mm -hmm. But um, I think today the thing I noticed most, it was actually the sound rather than the visuals. Mm -hmm. So the sound felt big in a way (laughs) that I think often, for me at least, big arena esports events don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was a moment today when PSG LGD won their first game and it was the loudest the stadium has been the entire week. So that's the crowd after game one of LGD versus OG. They're going to yell again in a second when LGD comes out of the booth. Yeah. 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 I think too, it's, and I, I, um, it's also the way the stadium is filled. So in my experience, often stadium esports events, they are not filling the uppermost tiers. Mm. They'll often 
or they're or they'll curtain off half the stadium from one side. So I think actually just today that whole stadium was filled with people, and so it produced. I mean, this is I don't have the language for this, but it <laughs> produced a very resonant, deep sound of yeah. people mm-hmm. in a way that mm-hmm. it's often a little hollow. I think the other thing that Sean Luna and I were noticing is like. Um, there's a unity amongst the fans at this particular uh, international such that uh, there's like a razor sharp focus on not just the screen as the center of attention but like the actions on the screen so that there's they're synchronized in a moment of uh, excitement the the crowd is unified in a way that I can't think of as much in like a sports game or another esports game um Oh, I don't know what you think. I don't know. To me, it's like when you have a big crowd that's... Yeah. Like, if you go to home court, it's like... Maybe it's right. home court. I don't know. Home, kid, home court <laughs> fight, advantage. Fight, fight. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> when you have enough of that critical mass threshold of, of yeah. the home fans to... Everyone is doing shaking head sensation, like, oh, I'm weighing this up. Maybe. Come on, let's move on with this. <laughs> no, I, I keep thinking about, like, all this atmosphere and, and how, like, the audience was, was really moving quickly to, towards mm. the action of the team fight. And then I realized one thing that... that that I think the Chinese audience was already trained to be reacting really fast towards team fight by mm. watching all this online casting all the time. Mm. We even have a term for those type of players who doesn't play the play games themselves, but was watching the game th- gameplay through online streaming all the time. We call them the cloud player. Mm. Was that the Chinese driver? No, no, the cloud, the cloud, the Apple cloud, mm. that, yeah. that that type type of thing. So I guess they were trained to be so. What was the term? Yun What say it again, please? Yun. Yun is in cloud. War. War. Yeah. like player. I was talking to someone today on a similar issue. They were saying like at least in big cities like China, young people have difficulty to afford a place to live. So some people who like to watch Dota could very possibly never have the opportunity or very little opportunity to play at home. Mm. First, there's space issue, but also the time issue. Like, mm. play Dota is luxury in terms of time. Mm. That's also why mobile games are more popular mm. here. Mm-hmm. And so probably people are watching it. It's a compensation thing. They could know more, and the cast or the player, the pro players are doing something for them. And and that's tied into like some of the kind of reactions in the crowd. Yeah. Uh huh. Interesting. I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it is like a the what TL was saying, like a home field advantage kind of thing more mm-hmm. than anything. I don't know. Too. I think a lot of. I mean, I don't know about this crowd. I really have no empirical sense. But I think people who often go to esports tournaments, they're they're very practiced spectators. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both from their own play and from live streams so the, yeah. I completely agree with the, the, this point you're making on I mean you have to learn to spectate you don't mm-hmm. cut, there's no natural spectation mode in, in. yeah mm-hmm. and, and I mean have you looked into different modes of spectatorship or like different types of spectators across different countries or scenes um, or my work has been more on the the labor of producing streams I have nice. I have some cursory mm-hmm thoughts in in the current book about why people watch, but it's not been a, a prime part of that. I can actually tag in on this and also um, cite out the great work of Nick Taylor here. 
um, who has actually done a lot of work on sort of esports spectatorship. And he talks about the different ways people see um, and also the different ways that then companies come to measure who is seeing and how the way in which there is this imagination of, I think, the esports fan who has played a lot enough that these incredibly complex and hard to understand team fights become very legible, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also people who then are sitting to the side um, and who are enjoying maybe the spectacle um, and don't actually necessarily know what's going on in the fight, but are following mainly along with the audio. And that these are modes of, of and he always tells this wonderful story about going to a dream hack and seeing two like middle age. What's a dream hack? Dream hack is, um, it started off as an art festival, right? It, uh, not quite. Yeah, a, a, a big <laughs> land party plus demo scene. Yeah, mm-hmm. land party demo um, scene. Yeah. And mainly from Sweden, but it's like going all around continental Europe too. Um, but a sort of a classic place where Dota and other esports have been played for a long time, and seeing two middle-aged women on sort of the side um, who were completely decked out in esports gear, <laughs> like they were obviously fans, um, but weren't sitting in the seats. And therefore, when they, you know, the, basically the counting of the audience happened, we're not included in that. So this entirely different way of seeing and engaging with the game did not come to be like, you know, seen or understood or valued so much by the people who were putting on the thing or putting on the, the show. So I think that's like, you know, very clear way that like spectatorship, it takes lots of different modes. There's no ideal spectator. And that often the ways those come to be counted can exclude, um, you know, not just types of spectators, but that exclusion ends up in other kinds of contexts. Yeah, one thing I've been really enjoying this week is watching uh, Sheng Lun, who is so... Um, because he's an escape room designer, right? So masterful in like the execution and discussion and like engagement with escape rooms in Malaysia. Just bounce off esports incredibly hard and, and then like and then like test out doggedly all these different like ways well maybe I'm like maybe I'm like not cut out for sitting in the seats maybe I'll like interview a bunch of people or like maybe I'll maybe I'll go to like a night cafe and drink my first Red Bull ever and try and play Dota all night and test every hero which he failed after like 12 uh, but but today in the LGD match uh, you um, I believe tended towards more of like a normative spectator role where you so yeah you you actually sat down in an actual seat and like talked with me about the actual game going on for like the first time in the street if you can't beat him join him <laughs> okay and how was it well, for the first time, I was screaming LGT <laughs> in the top of my lungs. LGT! LGT! For very different reasons. Well, <laughs> yeah. When you but, but like the heart in your chest, the nervousness, the, the types of um, performances that the rest of the crowd is doing, you participated in. Mm. But there's also all this like other stuff going on around the tournament that, like Will was saying, is part of kind of the way you watch or play Dota. I was just saying, uh, uh, TL and I were talking in the elevator on the way up, and that my response eventually, I guess not, I've never been a huge sports fan in general, probably have some similarities from Australia, <laughs> but eventually I found it most comfortable when I would completely retreat into myself and find some visual spectacle that I could really enjoy. And it mm. was. The enjoyment was the opposite, was just to kind of creature out and then I could find something I could never, I don't think I could ever become part of that 
that group. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting that TL mentioned the sound because you literally put earphones on, really loud, blasted yeah. music, <laughs> and while Alex Shanlung and I were like having some fun talking about the game, watching it, you were just walking, <laughs> with watching the game with intensity, but. The, it was like the sound that actually was getting in the way of you Definitely. engaging, at least like for for one of the days mm -hmm. that we've been there. Well, it's just it, it was it wasn't that it was getting in the way. It was finding finding a way that I found deeply enjoyable, mm -hmm. and it was to find my own space there. Even though there was maybe it was also not necessarily wanting to be around eighteen thousand people. I'm not sure, but yeah, it was a it was definitely a form of enjoyment, and that little shift changed everything. I, I personally liked having the people there because I was watching this and I was also getting really into the um, LGD versus OG match. And then I, I had this moment halfway through when I was like, oh, I'm cheering too when something good happens. And then I realized if there was no crowd around me, I'll be like, when do, when do I cheer? <laughs> like, I need like an applause button or something. Like so much of it is taken from cues of the audience around me and how they feel just because I don't have enough literacy in the game to, to feel that just by, by myself. I, I was just going to say, for me, though, that happens to me all the time at ball games. Mm. Like, I'll be chatting, the crowd starts cheering, and then I start clapping. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know that it's all actually always all that unusual. Yeah. <laughs> we participated in collective. I have two questions. Mm. One, do you all think we were more invested in this game because it was such an important one for China? And uh, two, the other night, did Patrick show you all the spectatorship mode in the game client where you can follow a single player's um, perspective? Yeah, we, we've been discussing about, um, I guess, the gaze of the caster being a character in this sport spectacle and what would happen if we had a bit more agency. Um, mm -hmm. And so I did not get to do this because I went to the late show, but everyone else got to boot it up in the client. And mm -hmm. were you um, actually following someone? Or? Yeah, that's a good question. We didn't actually do any of the player perspectives, but uh -huh. we talked about uh, that. I think early in the week when we were doing that, a lot of folks were uh, like the flashing between like multiple uh, camera hotspots was like uh, a little bit much for folks who mm -hmm. were new to the map, yes. but we should boot it up again, maybe tomorrow. Uh, during I the really big finals. That. It's like sleep no more, like rather than hop from room to room, you follow a character mm -hmm. around. Yeah. Back to his I'll try to respond to the first question as a Chinese. Um, I have very little knowledge of Dota. I had played League of Legends very badly, <laughs> <laughs> unskillfully. And, and so um, it was just here that, that I first played my first daughter on Patrick's computer. And then so to go Screaming to in our house. <laughs> about dying <laughs> under a tower. When she plays Dota. Yeah. Even at the night cafe. It's awesome. Oh, <laughs> sorry. No, it's, <laughs> it's just screaming and shouting, which I can't control myself. And, and But I'm not a very nationalist person. So normally I don't respond to um, other people's um, nationalist behavior. But today I was sitting <laughs> in a very peculiar situation where there were two Finnish guys who who is um, sitting beside me, and they are here particularly for the OG team. <laughs> I was sort of trapped tra in the middle, but then on the other hand, my seat is very, very near at the flag season, uh, the, the flag section where there are Wait, people. Can you tell me about the flag section. Yes, um, it's just this weird section where you see all all of this 
Chinese people holding little small flags, and then when the camera <laughs> is, is sort of on them, and when they were like shooting on screen, you you see um some of them bring this really vast um Chinese flag, national flag, and they were trying to just 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 making a scene out of it. And so I was sitting really near this region, and and that section was the loudest section when uh-huh. it comes to like. Every time when an OG player was killed, there's this vast cheering, and then I find I it is very difficult to control my, to control myself not to not to cheer and scream <laughs> with them. So I did. And the Finnish guys were like, "Oh no!" So the aftermath of that is the two Finnish guys start to really vouching hard for the OG team, right. and then they get all these stares. From people, from the Chinese people who's who's just sitting next to us, and so they they were silenced afterwards. So, <laughs> so it's just very interesting to see how the nationalist、um, mm. atmosphere got into me because I I do understand part of the game, but I I never respond to that.、Mm. As a media person, that's the section you want to have a camera on. Yeah, and the next day you can put it up, and that's the head story, like cover、yeah. story. I I have a question for TL, like this. Flag situation is it normal in other esports competitions? In certain, in certain. So there have been some.、Uh, WCG is a good example of a event that played up national identity,、mm-hmm. um, and there there have been interesting tension points in that、uh, tournament over the years.、Um, and it does sometimes happen informally in places, and I think. People have a range of feelings about when nationalism appears in esports events. It's much more common now than it ever used to be, and I, I still find it a little disarming, to be honest,、uh, when it when it happens. But it's much more common. What do you mean by now? Now versus when I started doing esports research, like fifteen years ago. Okay. Yeah. So it's a recent phenomenon that it's become more nationalized. I think you, you, yeah, you see it. I, I feel like I see I see it more often. Is that just because of the emergence from this sort of subcultural situation to a kind of a broader, nominally、yeah. just south of mainstream? It could be. I, I don't. It's a it's a good question. I don't.、Mm-hmm. I I don't actually know.、Um, yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. Yeah, I wonder if this also has anything to do with the fact that like the international is called the international, <laughs> and, and, and part of its like、uh, format is. To、yeah. think of itself as a global competition between nations. Is there an alternative way of calling it? Many countries competition. <laughs> <laughs>、um, I just noticed that we have five Australians, so we could form a team right now. That's right. Shanghai base. Can you actually talk just a little bit more about why it's? You, you mentioned that it's hard to become a pro player in Australia. Oh, because you know, lack of internet infrastructure. Um, on the internet thing, there's a, a famous quote from a politician named Pauline Hanson. Oh, I heard about this recently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Pauline Hanson's kind of this、uh, bit noxious politician. She's、here. a white supremacist. Let's let's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no need to go back. Just、uh, say it. Yeah, yeah.、Uh, but she has this quote, which is like, oh, maybe Peter, you can perform it for us、oh, in your、no. best Australian accent. No, because I can't remember the quote. I I did my impression the other day. I'm not going to try an Australian accent. And so, it was, <laughs>、uh, kids, kids in the bush are getting beaten esports because our internet's too slow. <laughs> 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 this is her against the yeah, saying that our NBN needs to be better. Well, it's mind blowing. I feel we I feel we need to contextualize this for our listeners. It, it's a long story, but essentially, Australia spent a large amount of money, or proposed to spend a large amount of money, on a national broad、uh, broadband network. 
um, I believe under the Labour Party, which was subsequently essentially sabotaged by the Conservatives, with whom this Pauline Hanson is traditionally more aligned. So it's a slightly ironic statement. Um, would that be a reason? Did she oh, use the word esports? I, I thought the Liberal government, when they came in, continued the plan. So they actually... No, it, they, was, it was the Liberal government decided to convert it. I'm sorry. No, right. Here we go. <laughs> what happened? You get five Australians in a room. And so <laughs> I can do this in 20 seconds. It's cool. Yeah, we'll um, still be talking about spills. The, the original plan was um, fibre to the home. And it was, you know, it was a nation-building thing, something like, let's say, $35 billion, big, big one-off expense. And when the government changed, um, the Conservatives said that, oh, what a waste of money. Everything's going to be Wi-Fi one day. We'll do f- what's called fibre to the node. And, you know, once you cut a fibre optic cable, you're not really patching it together to another one. So um, they spent a lot of money building half of this thing. And because it didn't go fibre to the home... Uh, it all kind of it ended up costing more and we got less but it was that transition anyway mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> no 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 wait. but before we cut to a break I, I think it's kind of worth um, maybe like at bringing up or asking like there's a real difference in play styles also today so there's the kind of audience reaction but also like within that particular game that I think we all got a little bit of a window into um like, OG are well-known for... I mean, their original team is monkey business, right? And there's a lot of monkey business on the field in their games. There's they do sprays on the ground of their logo or the, the word loser. <laughs> they're, like, planting no-tails face, like, mm-hmm. on the uh, enemy's territory as they're, like, marching in. Um, and, yeah, they're, uh, there's a kind of, like, bad-mannered um, thing going on in their games that I think the crowd was also reacting to. Mm-hmm. I thought um, it was really fascinating. They stamped OG into yeah. the ground, mm-hmm. and then the LGD team came and stamped VG over their stamp. Yeah, the VG Gaming <laughs> logo, yeah, which is the other Chinese team yeah. that got furthest in the tournament, but is not them. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's over like their stamp multiple polite. times. It was like a little tagging <laughs> war of like, <laughs> OG, VG, OG, VG. And to see their opponent that they knocked down to lower brackets yesterday being used as a way to not be self-congratulating, but also to support, like, um, kind of China more broadly was a very interesting moment, I think, in in that game. So, yeah, it didn't let their cheekiness go unanswered, Mm -hmm. but also took the moral high ground, so to speak. (laughs) I think so, yeah. And so when OG walked out of the booth, they were like, what's up? Where's the the crowd? Uh, It was... A really interesting moment between the team and the audience in that stadium. I just, I was, I've now been mulling this issue, thinking about this nationalism, and I want to amend what I said a little bit, which is mm-hmm. national identity. I think has always been very present in esports, mm-hmm. and and that's everything from you have a flag next to your name on the forum that identifies what country you're from. Yeah. So it's it's not that yeah. So there's there's something I think too then about how nationalism also gets performed and played for the cameras which sort of goes back to that other issue and i think that will was raising too which is the way and nick taylor does write about this as well like audiences also get enlisted in the performance and so it's something about how nationalism is getting gets enlisted in particular ways one thing that uh stephanie and i noticed like in the early ti's um this was around the time that logos started appearing for teams in the games, and it was a little before the time when sponsorship started 
appearing in the games. But uh, many of the Chinese teams were represented graphically by the Chinese flag. Mm -hmm. And so like eHome and, um, you know, Invictus Gaming in TI2, in-game, like on the banners and the logos in the game, it was simply the Chinese flag, not the team logo. And so I think that this like, you know, it, it's pervasive across uh, this tournament, um, this icon that, you know, sometimes operates like branding or logo, sometimes operates as a national identity. It's like fluid in a way that um, I think the American flag... I like banned the American flag. How? So uh, when I was at the Late Show, I oh. met with uh, a couple of people who had an American flag mm -hmm. and asked uh, Sir Action Slacks, or Jake as I met him, uh, <laughs> to sign. And they very loudly proclaimed, yeah, this, this flag was banned. They didn't let us take it into the stadium. Oh. So, I, I don't know. Well, they weren't letting anybody take any flags. So, I, I saw a trash can full of Team oh, Secret flags. Yeah, not specifically. The, the security so. guards had the Royal Never Give Up flags. And I suspect that the Chinese flags were part of the production today given out at the stadium. But well, maybe that's sure. underwear. That's, I was thinking underwear. Yeah. That's a crime in China. They could go to jail for that. What? For like putting a flag underwear? down your pants? Yeah, sure. Huh? Oh, okay, okay. Have you ever met any Chinese person wearing a Chinese flag? Oh, it's also oh, against flag. Australian law to wear the Australian flag, but it's a point of like pride in Australia to wear the Australian flag <laughs> as a cape <laughs> at a weird sporting event. Yeah. All the Australians are going, oh, no, no, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> we'll cut that, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get triggered on this stuff too. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> I was going to ask, but did you see any other flags? No, I. Oh uh, yeah, there was a South uh, South African flag for a while. There were the Indian flags on the cosplay. That's true. Two Indian flags. Yeah. Oh. On two Ant Protector cosplay, which was one. I think it won the cosplay. I, I, I wasn't sure. There also is a flag that's printed um, in color on an A A4 paper. It, it was projected um, as uh, as the perhaps very few supporters of OG mm -hmm. when the camera turns to them. Uh -huh. So there was this this couple who apparently was from Finland or, or at least Norwegian area, um, and they were holding this A4 paper with the flag on it. Uh -huh. and, and then the commentator says, "Okay, so so we've seen some familiar faces. So I guess it might be the OG." Um, might be the only OG fan this gets big. Oh, come back to the same <laughs> right. two fans. Right. <laughs> um, I think that, yeah, this has been a really productive conversation. We should take a quick break because yeah. we've only got actually about 15 minutes left. We've <laughs> <laughs> been going so hard. And I really want to hear more about um, TL's work specifically. Yep. For our interlude, Stephanie, Yang Jing, Alex, and Will discuss their experiences of gender in and around Dota, from women leaders in the Chinese Dota community to sexism that they experienced at the International. So from the, the fact that all the players on the on the international teams are men to the fact that most of the majority of the casters and commentators especially in english where it's like just shiver to even our experiences going into the always empty women's bathroom versus the huge lines at the stadium um one of the good things about going to an esports event as a woman it's, it's hard to avoid seeing or thinking about the gender dynamics that are at play mm -hmm. in this space. So we thought we'd take a few minutes just to kind of go over 
um, some of the things that we've been observing over over the past few days. And so the, the story begins where some friends very generously gave us one of the VIP tickets yeah, to take yeah. us to the, the third floor. And so we've been um, trading those tickets each day. And Will had gone the first day, and you had a very, very luxurious experience, right? It was great. Um, the view from up there was much better. It was much sort of calmer. You got to mm -hmm. actually spend a lot of time talking to other people who worked in the industry or were very close to the industry, the esports industry in other ways. Uh, it was catered food. And you know, I, in many ways, it was just a very kind of relaxing, easygoing experience for me. It was VIP. It was. It really <laughs> it lived up to its name. But Yang, you went the next day. Yeah, and I heard all these great things <laughs> happening from Will's account, and I was so excited because until then I was always trapped on the fifth floor, <laughs> <laughs> the lowest highest <laughs> level. And I went in the VIP room. I was amazed too at the first second because, as you said, the screen is literally in my face. It's so close, and there's free bananas. <laughs> <laughs> the best part <laughs> and not many people in the very very safe comfort sofa and I can sit on it and I actually talked to a few people at the beginning mm -hmm. there are two people from Thailand but who were originally Russian mm -hmm. they got there also because they have friends friendly mm -hmm. friends who generously give the ticket to them and they were also saying that they were amazed about how many Chinese female casters were there on the show yeah, well, and we'll get to that. Yeah. But but I'm, first, you're kind of in the equivalent of box seats at the opera. Yeah. Right, enjoying the the free food and drinks, and enjoying actually what is a really amazing viewpoint from which to actually sit. It's the best place uh, from which to to watch the game. But yeah. then, so for ten minutes pleasure, I realized maybe I don't look like I belong there because I was chatting with a random white person who's also there <laughs> watching the show. We were just about to introduce ourselves. A Chinese guy stood up. This guy, I also talked to him about five minutes ago, mm -hmm. and we were chatting about how we get the ticket. He told me he knows someone who worked for a company that has luxury tickets and gave him clean So he's not directly out. affiliated with either the stadium or esports like generally. Was. Yeah, it's sort of in your position where it was it was through the generosity of a friend or maybe maybe he purchased it somehow, we don't know. That's possible too. Yeah. But he was so deeply offended as to he stood up, walked into my conversation with another person and started to speak English. Where did you get the tickets? Do you even have the ticket? Show me your ticket. I think you don't have the ticket. Oh my god. And then he goes to, and he wasn't talking to me. He was talking to the American guy. Like, she's humiliating, uh, he, actually, he referred to me as a he. He's humiliating us Chinese. I feel so embarrassed. Let's call the security card and get her out. I was so offended. I said, who are you? And didn't you just told tell me that you have a ticket somehow illegally, as I did? And he said... I refuse to talk to you. You were just embarrassing. And he waved his ticket. He's like a superior uh, citizen certificate or something in front of me. Show me yours. Yeah. I had a ticket, but I really didn't want to. And this bizarre thing somehow went over with a white guy. I felt, I think he's the one who, who felt super awkward and said, I think she has a ticket and that's okay because all these all this suites are connected. So it's fine. And the guy finally went back to his seat. And I had 
troubles dealing with bully or confrontation, violent confrontation all my life. So then I find I collapsed, <laughs> and I need the corner to cry a little, <laughs> and I did.、Aww. And I, then I got all the nice messages you all sent to me, and that was the time I realized I could confront him. Like, why are you doing this? Who are you? But the minute I really did it, he shut off and completely doesn't want to talk to me at all. Right, because he was a bully, and I think he realized that you weren't going to take it, and that also he was wrong. And I, I just was genuinely interested. Like, how did I embarrass him, and why did he speak to me or not to me in English all the time? So he, he literally said to you, "You're embarrassing your country." Yeah, by talking to a person. But he was talking to the white person that you were talking to, wasn't he? Yes. It almost feels like he's tattling. I think like, like, like a little a, kid tattling on you, reporting、yeah. on the father figure. She doesn't belong to here. We need to get her out. Yeah, totally gatekeeping、yeah. the space, right? And I think it's like no coincidence that you didn't. Nobody was like. Tattling on you, right?、Yesterday. No, and it's it's the way that like you know men always sort of get sent. Like esports is a patriarchy,、yeah. um, and it's a way that like as soon as men become centered and normalized, their presence doesn't have to be explained. Yeah,、um, but the opposite is true for like women and gender nonconforming people. Right, right, and I think in in this particular case, would you say that it's not just sexism that's at play? I think there's a little racism too, but it's internal. Yeah, that's yeah. the most ugly part for me. Right, the internalized racism,、yeah. absolutely. And then I realized at the same time, one match was over, and Yuno was it Yuno?、Mm-hmm. Yuno was on the big screen because she was doing some interview,、mm-hmm. and she was wearing what she was always wearing throughout this TI Chipao, and she looks like really cute, almost cartoonish cute character. <laughs> and I was thinking, if I look like her, would I still be bullied here? Right. So I think that this is a, this is sort of a, an important thing to note in terms of what we've seen so far、um, amongst the Anglophone casters and commentators. There's literally only one woman. It's Shiver. She's amazing. But it's like Shiver, and then I, I guess maybe you could count Casey, but her position is explicitly as that of an outsider, right? Like she comes from Fox News. She's not somebody who's been playing Dota, right, and that kind of thing. Whereas on the the Chinese side of the casters, there actually there's one woman who's casting the competition and doing、yeah. an amazing job from what I can tell from my from my limited Chinese. And then there's also women that are part of the 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 panelists who are doing the analysis and the commentators. So there's technically just quantitatively more women. Yeah. Right. But that doesn't mean that there isn't still like sexism that's just filtering through all of this. Yeah, absolutely.、Um, I find that a lot of、uh, women, you know, they definitely wouldn't be there if they weren't conventionally attractive.、Um, as as Yang was saying, how、um, you know, Yuno was always dressed up in a very cute way, and it's- and it's funny she's always in the national symbolic fashion. Yeah. What what is that? Can you say more about the chipao? So Chipao is originally a Manchurian fashion thing,、mm-hmm. but as Manchurian came to Central China and conquered us all, it gradually become a national thing, no matter which ethnicity you are. And then it's being modified more and more to to be looking more modern. And now a Chinese female going abroad 
she's always looking for a cheapal when she needs to represent something unique or something China. Yeah. So that's the dress you go to, and that's the dress she went for for the entire week. She's covering Ti. So it's, there's definitely there's like identity Chinese identity that's being announced every time through femininity. Through, yeah. Oh, that's very very interesting. I think that part of it has to do with the fact that she is also a fi- um, like a face figure. Yeah, that's always on the big screen. And also, she speaks perfect English.、Mm-hmm. That's very important here because I talked to someone. Who watch a lot of casts,、mm-hmm. and this guy really likes her because she presents another like international cosmopolitan、yeah. face for China in esports.、Mm-hmm. So Alex, I don't think you've had as traumatic an experience <laughs> no, as what happened、not. in that on that on that third floor. But how how what have, what do you think? How's your experience been in terms of the gender dynamics?、Um, mine has been quite different. It's I suppose more of what I expected.、Um, so I always knew that there were going to be there was going to be a large gender disparity in the audience and in the players,、um, as well as the casters and people working on、um, bringing TI together.、Um, however, for me, it was a bit more. I felt a bit shyer than usual、mm-hmm. and a little bit scared to approach people. Um, I think at Young was quite bold to to approach <laughs> people, yeah, to approach people and talk to them about it.、Um, just because I find that whenever you talk to people who are、um, video game fans, a lot of the time they can be a little bit exclusive, especially if you don't know anything about it, and especially if you're a woman. So there's multiple layers to it,、mm-hmm. and. I mean, different communities are different. There are some which are a lot more accepting, and there are some which are a lot more toxic. But I was just scared as someone who was a woman, as well as not knowing anything about Dota.、Mm. I kind of just kept my mouth shut. And on on the pH scale of toxicity, Will, where would you say esports or Dota stands in、oh, relation? Dota is the most toxic game <laughs> in the world. <laughs> like, it, there's no one comes close. I didn't know that. Should I know that I wouldn't do it? <laughs> I would stay in fifth level all the time. <laughs> the、um, the ADL the, the Anti Defamation League、yeah. put out a major study this summer about harassment in gaming, and it, well, it wasn't totally clear that maybe they used the you know, best practices for parsing out what is and isn't harassment.、Um, Dota came in first as the game where like the most people experienced having been harassed by like a huge margin. And on the one hand, you'd think that maybe this would prompt some soul searching from the Dota 2 community, but、um, sort of、nah. the exact opposite、mm-hmm. happened. It kind of became a badge of pride that you have to be tough to be here,、uh, uh, and a lot of like you know, not good.、Um, the free market of, of ideas. Yeah. <laughs>、um, oh man,、yeah. and and I guess I mean, it's probably fair to say that it's it's part of the gameplay, right, and how the game is designed. It's five versus five, and so it's not just that you're competing against an opponent who might try to use some sort of trash talk or tactics of intimidation,、mm-hmm. right? But your teammates are depending on you, and that's actually where a lot of the worst、um, moments of of harassment, toxicity,、uh, sexism, racism, homophobia—the whole thing—it's、okay. usually between your teammates, right, and not towards an opponent. Because when you're relying on someone else and things go and things go bad, instead of like doing that self soul searching and perhaps blaming yourself, it, a lot of folks will just lash out.、Mm-hmm. Is that is that kind of fair to say? Yeah, and and I think 
you know, because there are these very defined roles at Dota, you have right. people who support, you have people who carry, um, and that those kind of ideas can be articulated to, I think, yeah. really retrograde ideas about gender. Yeah. And so there's a way in which if you're being forced into this support role, you can, I think a lot of men who are playing can feel totally emasculated. Oh yeah, you were saying before how um, a lot of guys like to play carry. Right. Mm -hmm. And is that mainly an ego thing or is it just a masculine? Yeah. I think, I mean, I think there are lots of causes, but I think that's a really important one. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the flip side is why like a a disproportionate number of women who play Dota report playing support. Right. To the point where almost like within esports, the idea of a woman, whether it's in Overwatch or Dota Mm -hmm. or League playing support is almost kind of uh, like at the point of being a meme or like a stereotype, right? Yeah, and it's it's also kind of a stereotype out of game. One more spot where there are these, exactly. these flows between in-game and out-of-game are clear that most teams have um, like a, a the manager is a woman, oftentimes um, someone mm-hmm. who has been romantically involved with a player, but not, not certainly not exclusively. And a lot of behind-the-scenes work that happens in Dota is predominantly women's work. Right, the the invisible labor, the emotional labor, the affective labor, the infrastructure building. I mean, this is something that takes place within esports ecosystems and and also just the family system and mm. society more broadly. So it maps on to the the gameplay. Oh, sorry. Just before I had a when you're talking about how Dota is a team sport and people mm-hmm. tend to flame bad bad players <laughs> on their team. I had flashbacks of um playing games where, where you use a microphone to communicate with your team members and then people getting really angry when they would hear me and then saying like, are you a girl or are you a 12 year old boy? And I'll be like, 12 year old boy, 12 year old boy. <laughs> and just like hide behind the veneer of anonymity because I would get treated better. Mm-hmm. What you just said about team players blaming each other mm-hmm. reminds me of another anecdote of Wang Zizong. <laughs> coming back to Wang Zizong. Always. <laughs> This is his city. So, yeah. Wang Sichuan is known to be to, to, uh, known to be very very close to entertainment industry in mm-hmm. China. His father, because of his father, yeah. the Dalian producer, owns mm-hmm. the entertainment industry yeah. in a way. And so he's always on the team with very famous and handsome Chinese male actors. And one of them is known to be a game addict, Dada, to be specific. Or LOL. Sorry. <laughs> right, because he's, yeah. he's a League of so Legends person. So it should be LOL. Yeah. And someone just captured a moment where he brutally, I mean, Wang Zizong brutally, brutally yelled at this actor, Ling Gunxin, said, fuck your mother or something, like, mother go be the, mm-hmm. are you dumb or are you imbecile? And the actor at the time just kept his mouth shut. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, in the public opinion, that Wang Sichuan isn't really, really so friendly to mm-hmm. the actor in acting industry at all. But at the same time, he's also known as the womanizer mm-hmm. because he owns Panda TV. Mm-hmm. Now it's Banana, and Panda TV has signed a contract with, I see, thousands of female casts. So instead of going for actresses, which like old school Chinese millionaires like to do, he goes after mm. casts. Mm. And yeah. Wow. <laughs> it all comes back to Wong Song. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. It's it's such a complicated issue and, and I don't think we have time to, to mm-hmm. go any further in it, but um 
there's a lot of discussion about bringing more women into esports, getting more players involved, uh, more visibility. But I think for now, those women's bathrooms are going to be empty. Yeah, <laughs> win for us. <laughs> <laughs>
But importantly, on the patch days, you also get a pin with a scratch off on the back of it, and you can add a digital version of the pin to your Steam account, which I think the ones that Stephanie and I got from TI4 are now worth a, a kind of fat $5 USD. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the worst for these things is on the Steam Marketplace, which is like an embedded market in um, Steam's platform that all the prices are uh, relationships between the different players on this marketplace, basically, because you can buy and sell. Almost like a mini virtual commodity eBay. What's the point of the pin? The digital <laughs> pin? <laughs> Don't you want to prove that you were at the international <laughs> 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 like, spent $5? How can they see it if a hero you, is so small? So, good, good, uh, good question, actually. Oh, uh, wait. Like, like <laughs> his life size where, the hell? <laughs> OG is just like <laughs> dropping past pins so on the field. Cute. No, 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 it's none of that. It's it's your it's your account. You can add there's a slot for like your rank last season or like your most played hero, but also you could put like one of these pins. Like a prof yeah, profile on your profile. Your profile. profile swag. And you can like look at profiles are somewhat public, I think, within the Dota client. So you can like if you play a game, like a pub game with four other people, you can like check out their profiles and oh it's it's cosmetic but there's also like a psychological effect oh they must be really good at playing maybe mm. i'm like not gonna like try to take a risk is that what you're laughing <laughs> but i guess you can buy them also right yeah. so you can like yeah. sell your, your virtual <laughs> pin it's, it's, yeah. it's yeah. the number of keys in your seb it's the so, ones. yeah well, and I think it's a point of the way that these items, the, why they circulate, why they accrue value is because they're status symbols yeah. um, and they're ways of actually getting, you know, that social mm -hmm. capital uh, tied to your account, which I think it's really important to understand things like social networks and how social media works and how that's actually very much a part of a game like Dota or Fortnite or yeah. League. Those same dynamics are in play. I, th I, th I totally agree. Uh, yes, and. Because <laughs> um, I think they're also... Okay, now I'm just going to actually speak from personal experience of having like a lot of those kinds of things from BlizzCons. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. They are these strange little, very personal memorabilia holders. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, I have all kinds of weird little pets from BlizzCons. I never bring them out, really. So they don't travel as capital, mm -hmm. but they're like affective personal reminder. So I think they can have that dual. Yeah. And just to my own <laughs> clarification is I meant specifically the virtual goods that actually yeah, yeah, yeah. are like represented in your profile yeah. online. Yeah. Is, is BlizzCon something that you encountered as a fan or as a researcher or a, a mix of the two? <laughs> I think I always got in with, with researcher credentials. I, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, 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 play World of Warcraft a lot. So. so something is more special about that that game for you? Yeah, that's my genre preference. Ooh. And not 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 esports. Oh god, no. I don't play any esports. <laughs> <laughs> we really have to do every raid in this classic WoW with I, I am on the playing team. Again. Yeah, I'm going to pitch you this podcast idea. <laughs> I've got my names reserved, yeah. man. Yeah. I am there. I was on the beta. We got to get like Yeah, we got to get like Celia Pierce. We have to like put together a team to play classic WoW. Okay, what? Okay, that's a mystery. I have been in an academic guild before. I don't know if we want to do that, but <laughs> okay. okay. So, sorry. We're back. So yeah, yeah. I, I I feel the same way actually. Um, there was a SIGGRAPH I went to in like 2011, and it 
I think it was maybe like the 50 year anniversary or something like that. And all the people got, uh, who were speaking, I think got a 3d printed Utah teapot. And I was like deeply envious, like, Oh man, this is such like a cool, <laughs> there, there's something about, so the virtual items can be traded on the marketplace, but there's these second thing, which are the memorabilia you get that are not immediately tradable. And so we put together full sets of the plastic chibis and the, the full squishy chibis that I'm somewhat attached to like, uh, well, I actually traded for like a tide hunter from last year that I think I'm going to, that's like, feels like something that I can remember this trip by, but also it ties into why you'd wait in this other line, which is like the secret shop line, right. which if, if that line was 15 minutes and moving quickly, the secret shop like, like hours yeah. or so. It took me 15 minutes each time. But you went when China was playing. Right! <laughs> <laughs> you were so great. smart for long. You were so smart. <laughs> and and I, I went there twice. Um, it is um, at the night of, of the first day when, uh -huh. when there was no Chinese game inside. So, and there was mm. very few people because there were very few goods left. Fair and enough. then today is when the Chinese team was playing. <laughs> I figured that there would be no one in the secret shop. And so it would be a perfect time for me to just grab something. So in addition to the secret shop where you can buy merchandise Book. and the uh, swag site where you can pick up this special uh, tote bag, there's also um, a trading center mm -hmm. area where it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a real, it's a marketplace, like an actual marketplace. And yeah. it's, it was scary to me because, I mean, everybody was very, very nice, but it was intense. People had their good selections, including the coveted mahjong set that patrick really wants yeah it was for three thousand rmb which what's it normally for do you remember one one thousand something one yeah thousand so it's like triple the price in the trading zone uh and then you know people saying oh these are the squishies that we have these are the pins that we have and they are talking to each other really rapidly like oh i have this but i want this and mm -hmm. multi-party trades are occurring and people are going from desk to desk to try to figure out how to make things work i mean you played a real like shell game or like well, no, what was I going on there? Because a man approached you and was like... So we all coincided just outside the tote area. And actually, we uh, were wondering, oh, can we get this swag? <laughs> oh, wanted, right. That's right. Yeah. The VIP <laughs> went through the swag line <laughs> and <tots>. no. <laughs> no. Not, not very okay. much of a VIP at all. <laughs> you didn't have the coveted white ticket. No. But it comes with the finals. No. We, very funny. <laughs> and so dejected, we say, okay, well, how about we just, like, we were chatting for a long time and we suddenly realized, like, oh, this is a waste of time. We should be waiting in the secret shop line mm -hmm. uh, because it was immensely long. <laughs> so we're, we realized that the snake's all the way around basically to the trading area. Yeah. And as we're in this line, uh, a young man comes up to us and says, oh, do you want to trade anything? And he's got a bag full of different materials, kind of hawking his wares. And he's looking specifically uh, for the Enchantress Mini. Yeah, it's not Enchantress, so though. It's Windrange. Oh, oh pardon me. Sorry. How dare you? <laughs> yeah. He only has two legs. It's not <laughs> Barbara Stark kind with abs. Got it. Yeah. That's a really good description of Enchantress. I stole that from Stephanie. Uh, <laughs> from your understanding, was there already a conception of scarcity in, like, um, which plushies was there a, yeah. a glut of? And Peter, which... your plushie, two-headed, blue fat, oh, is like the top of the pyramid. <laughs> oh. 
but, have but worked how, today. <laughs> but how do you know that's like, is it because like there's it. people wanting it? Like there's a supply and demand thing? And, you know, did somebody have 50 of one type and the other ones didn't exist? Or was the distribution? Yeah, there seemed to be it? rarity in these objects huh. built mm-hmm. in. I don't know. We got like three ember spirits and two shadow fiends and only one blue fat. I think it's really hard. Like it's not a uh, large enough sample size to determine. Yeah. Well, on the other hand, it's actually um, those items are buyable from Taobao. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I tagged the price. It's <laughs> not it? very hard. <laughs> What's a blue fat going no, for? No, it's less than that. It uh, is. I just think we're going to wake up in the morning 56. and it's just going to be empty. <laughs> and one gone. guest will be gone. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear. <laughs> so he came up to you and, was and said, I want a draw ranger. No, no, no. We, we <laughs> no the details matter. Sorry, the what did he want? Wind Ranger, sorry. Now it sounds so weird on my mouth because I'm used to Wind Runner, but it is Wind Ranger now, Wind right? Ranger, yeah. And Drow Ranger is still Drow Ranger. There's so many Rangers. Drow Ranger. There also seems to be a lot of Lords and Kings. A lot of Shadows. Shadows. Yeah. Okay, so Wind Ranger. Uh, and we don't have a Wind Ranger on us. It's back at the apartment in yeah. our shrine. She is super cute. Like the cheap. Oh, right. <laughs> Um, but we realized, oh, we just got these swag bags and we have an unopened mini container. And so we carefully... Well, we tried you. to just give him the container and he's like, I don't gamble. <laughs> yeah, your idea of a little Tracy the Mystery box. <laughs> <laughs> but then we decide, actually, before we open this, we need to appeal to the higher powers that be because we really want... Tiny. Tiny. Yeah, who to complete our collection. And Tiny isn't just Tiny. Tiny comes with a very nonplussed wisp. Yes. I owe the wisp. Is that right? Yes, Tiny. you're nailing it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so we collectively say a prayer to the gods of Dota. The Mad Moon. The Mad Moon. I actually don't know Dota lore that well. Um, I don't actually know. <laughs> who is the Mad Moon? I don't know if the people who wrote about the Mad Moon know what the Mad Moon is. I think, here's my theory, and maybe Slax will tell me wrong, but I think that the, the like, ancients are like fragments of the Mad Moon that have fallen to some plane, some plane of reality. What is this game? And have pulled these heroes up to the plane to, to kind of do the Dota. Wait, so the heroes are just like (laughs) hanging out in their respective reality. I think so. Well, I think there's like multiple things. Zeus is missing in some reality. I think think the pitch is not the same as like the world Shorlacan and Legion Commander like move their armies in. I think like the Lord's pitch is this other thing the with these fragments. Of, it's a plane of imminence. Right, that's it's one. It's so it, it, up there. And then two... there's another one downstairs called I, Underlords. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Underlords is part of, like, the broader lore. But I think what happens in a game of Dota is, like, due to these two pieces of the Mad Moon. I should just read the... <laughs> I, should just, I should just read the wiki. Well, I'm really this. worried about, like, the, the reader comments that are going to come from... Or the listener comments from this podcast. Just... No, we only get comments oh, from the dads. Only dads because we swear. Oh, okay, cool. So we're not going to just get like spammed by plays every time. I don't think so. (laughs) Be dads writing in. You got the Mad Moon wrong. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Dota dads. So we open it up after appealing to the Mad Moon, and lo and behold, that was amazing. Mm. It It was Wind Ranger. Yeah, that was amazing. It was a really beautiful moment. Was correct. (laughs) Because you also too, you had before that happened, you had just 
actually gone on and on like about how you're never going to find this. It's so rare. True. So it was kind of I was really <laughs> primed for like that. Oh, no, it's never going to happen. And then. Well, I think Alex and I walked around and we showed our Sand King and just pointed at uh, tiny Iyos on all the different tables and everybody was like, please leave. We <laughs> <laughs> don't want your junk. Show yourself out. We know you don't even have WeChat. <laughs> You're embarrassing yourself. <laughs> the result was that he gave you the oh. tiny... We with Congo and we our collection is complete. So and he Peter very, gets to take he was it home. Happy too. Yeah, like everybody walked away happy. He actually came back later to get my Sand King and gave me a Tidehunter Ti8, which in fact is my most coveted and treasured chibi of them all because I love the Tidehunter. That's really nice. Shwaywalan, Shwa, Shwa, Shwa is pretty in the right category. Yeah, so the same guy asked if we wanted to trade the squishies as well, and, or just anything else. And he took me there and basically gave me the most intense whirlwind tour of all the tables. And we did a, a three-way deal that involved three separate transactions. And there was money exchanged, but not my own. And it was, yeah, incredible. How did this happen? Can you explain um, what happened? Just let me explain. Yeah, okay, okay. And first, and first one. He, this one. This yeah. one wants this one. This guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he wants, he wants yours. Yeah. And then, and then one, he just yeah. sell. Oh. He want to sell in March for 100. Oh. And this one wants to buy yours by 100. Oh. So this one gives, so this one gives that one. Right, because then so then I don't have to do any money. Yeah. yeah. So you give him, you, you give yours to him. And he gives his marks to you. Wait. Ah, it's so good. Okay. Because we needed Mars. Yeah. We need it. Yeah, that's right. Now we've collected them all. We can go home. Well, what is the most precious squishy? Mm, I don't know. I think blue fat. Can I just say though? I did ask Will as we came. We were looking at the collection. I said, "Who? Who's taking it though?" You've collectively yeah. made the We actually have talked about what's going on over there on this podcast. Sorry that to, sorry to drop a bomb in the center of it. We're going to sell it all. So, dear, dear listeners, there's a shrine in our house <laughs> of like every piece of Dota merch slash trash that we've like <laughs> accumulated over the week. And I think Peter has volunteered to take it all to his like, small apartment. That's his small, modernist, minimalist apartment. <laughs> and just, where so, his partner throws everything away. Yeah, I think that'll be, I won't be able to close my front door. That's, that's the limit condition embodied right there. If you have nowhere else, we still have Home Ludens Archive. Oh, look at that. Oh, instead of Taobao, we should just like preserve it in the Hamaludens yeah. archive at Beijing Normal University. That's it the signature sense. from every one of you. Of course. <gasps> yes. And then, when, and then when we reach retirement age, we'll put it on Taobao. <laughs> right. Um, so these tents, they're part of the entire event mm -hmm. and they're huge and there's a lot of people involved in it who's done all this was it valve was it perfect world was it damai like what goes into making yeah, an who, event of this scale who orders the purple carpet right <laughs> and who runs down at first i haven't i don't know can anyone talk to uh how how esports are made in this kind of production sense it's a Lots very leading question. We know of the answer different is company. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know about this one. Yeah. Um, but, and this is, I mean, maybe this is one of the biggest changes over the years is like from a crew of people who were just like super fans and put yeah. on tournaments to like these things are now multinational media events. And, mm -hmm. and in the States too, there are constellations of 
unionized labor and ununionized labor, and they have complex negotiations sometimes about how things are going to get set up mm-hmm. and handled. And um, yeah, so today I just very briefly got a little tour of backs. What there's many backstage areas, but the truck production. So you know, there's all the people who are making the production happen, and then there's the feed that gets piped out. And then I went to visit the trucks where the the pipe dumps all that data, mm. and you know, it's staffed by multinational teams, multinational companies, SGM, which I gather is state-owned second biggest media company. Mm-hmm. It's their trucks, but they have private companies and mm-hmm. from many countries. And so there's just this massive assemblage of multinational entities. Um, and some of those folks are have been working in esports for over a decade and are mm-hmm. passionate. And some of them are like, there are directors who work on lots of other media products. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a really interesting. Yeah, so it seems like that the venue coordinates a lot of things about the event. Um, and it seems like maybe they hire specific production companies or, or maybe there are a series of hires in terms of like producing these different objects. Because they seem to be in like various art styles and various like production qualities. Um, but there's also like a lot of Valve staff. Well, maybe not a lot, but there are some Valve staff on site and I was curious, like, I noticed that the technology of the international has been used, like, kind of multiple years. It seems like some of the same setup for cameras and the stage, maybe not identical, but is the internal part of the international produced by Valve, or is it, like, a different production company? I mean, I believe PGL is the production company, yeah, I think, right? Yeah, and it's PGL and Imba TV is doing some of the piping out the stuff and localization. And PGL has run a number of, of Dota events yeah. in the past, and it's one of the few major organizers that's still really active in the Dota space because the tournaments tend to be, like, deeply unprofitable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... Uh, yeah. I just uh, on a technical question. I don't know if either TL or Will have the answer for this, but this idea of you know the the content being piped out via the truck. Um, what <laughs> what strikes me about this event that's so interesting is that you know we're watching that big screen and that feels like the primary spectacle. As you were saying, you know it's like the, not like there's basketball players running around on the court. I it's, mean they're kind of tipping and tapping fingers frenetically in those booths. But, but is there? Is there any latency between, like, what we... Are we seeing this game any quicker than somebody watching through the client in oh. North America or Oh, Europe? on site, probably it's... Yeah, mm. you, I mean, depending on where you're located in the world, you're going to experience mm. some. But, you know, there's going to be... A, a, the point Will's making is, is, is an important one because, you know, there's, there's the people who are running the front stage production... And there's people who are running backstage production, there's people who are running broadcasting, and all of those, those may be different companies that coordinate in really complicated ways and slice up labor in really finessed, really finessed ways. And Mm -hmm. a lot of esports is run, is, you know, these productions are done by a handful of companies that white label, they are, you don't know who they are, you know, it's People, you know, PGL, but PGL is not going to be listed anywhere. <laughs> right. Like, mm-hmm. So that's a big part of the media now infrastructure of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And to do with white labeling, um, you noticed that there, there was no really information on the, the small tchotchkes that we got of who produced them. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that like, do we know who made these things? Yeah. I mean, there's certainly like a tchotchke company that does this for like multiple franchises. Yeah. So maybe but they're not they're... listed anywhere, right? It's well, like in the past, a lot of them have been run by a group called We Love Fine. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And we love fine. There's always fine. been, I think, complaints yeah. that people were missing things they ordered. They didn't show up. They they show up on Reddit up to like a year later. And some of these are just, I think, the performance of consumer complaint. Um, mm-hmm. But I haven't seen any We Love Fine this year. Yeah, I don't know. Would it be fair to say, like, again, as another outsider's comment, that the feeling of this event and spending a whole day there or people spending a whole week there, it kind of feels just as much like a convention or even a, a conference or that sort of thing than it does a sports mm-hmm. match. Just mm-hmm. even in the way of, like, in the first day we noticed when all the food was sold out, that, you know, it's not often that you go to a sports match where... That would happen so quickly because the match doesn't go for yeah. typically yeah. as long. Whereas here, oh we're here all God. day, and it really feels like we're at like yeah, I'm we see Comic-Con the same people, something. right? We, like I bumped yeah. into the same Melbourne crew. The people who have come up from Melbourne and we just bumped into on day one. I bumped into on day two, three, and five. <laughs> mm. get rid of yeah, it's in this uncanny zone between like a con and a sports mm. event where. Especially, I think, in the trading area we were in, it felt more connish to me. Even with, like, the little ad hoc kind of booths of the tchotchkes that folks had set up in the trading area, almost as if it were, you know, artists uh, hawking, like, um, enamel pins that they had made or something like that. It felt like... And, and in past years, there has been, like, um, kind of, like, community art, I think, exhibited, like, around the stadium, maybe? It was the and cosplay competition. And the cosplay competition happened today, mm-hmm. which I think, like, cements that idea kind of perfectly, and we haven't talked about much. Um, I sometimes think this is one of the biggest bummers of esports moving to arenas, because our bodies are really not meant to sit in arena seating for the amount of time esports events yeah. now run. Mm-hmm. And it's this really strange event experience gap I think and maybe it's because I'm older but like I find it one of the weirdest things about esports these days we've all been feeling that throughout the week Uh, the the lighting and the length of time Mm. is fatiguing Uh, and and uh I think Shung Lin bounced really hard, but like a lot of us have, uh, like I think we set out on this trip with like oh yeah we'll watch them all no big deal and it's like whoa after like two or three games it's so intense Oh, just a quick one. I remember the only time I got a little bit um, annoyed at someone was when the guard took all my snacks because it was on the second day. I'm like, well, the food's sold out. I'm going to take a bag of snacks. And the guard took all my snacks. And I remember just got a little bit angry. At him, like, yeah, I heard some angry Mandarin out of but, Peter. But, but, but only because I'm like, this is a full day and I'm prepared. I'm, I'm ready to sit there and watch. I'm like, oh, he took my, my pocky. And the <laughs> pocky. Yeah. That's why you should go to the mall. I remember yesterday when we were talking to Kips, she said mm-hmm. that most of the matches are not set in the same place. Like, you can play from far distance. In, uh, in like, um, scrimming kind of day-to-day yeah. work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one, these, like, TIs are set. How do you decide which, which teams are to come and play how many matches mm-hmm. so that we don't need to watch all day? Just have the final. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so it's a term- tournament format question in terms of the length right. and the number of days. And I mean, we noticed that the first two days are totally stacked. And then Thursday and Friday are a little bit better. Yeah. And the weekend is like indulgent in terms of the number of matches a day. Like it's a lot easier to hang out all day. If we're not in a VIP session, like you cannot really see the players. Mm-hmm. You can see the screen. So what's the difference? Good question. I mean, the audience, I think, is a big... Five minutes. Mm, yeah. No, I mean, in, in Chinese, the tournament is translated as an invitation uh, tournament. 邀请赛, right. Right. 
So and we invite you to Shanghai. And, and I even find um, one of one, one piece of news from April um 2018 something where it was said that that LDG was invited to be um, mm -hmm. at this international tournament and it was such a thing. Mm -hmm. So so just yeah. partly feeding the information. I'll just take the opportunity. Maybe this could respond to earlier discussion about the spectacle and watching with the other people. Like you are watching the screen, but maybe a more important or equally important thing is you're watching with so many people and you know you are. I think so. It's like at an art gallery where like you look at the art and then you look at other people's faces. Yes, like video art is only presented here. Yeah. Although it could be presented like, anywhere. I think yeah. the convention thing is so important because it's like you, it's your tribe, you know? Like think about those, not being a member of this, I think it's quite easy to spot that like those late night events that um prior was saying you know he meets up with people that he sees once a year at these things um that seems a big deal that is so intense like that uh thing about seeing the same people like shanglin's been experiencing mm. um especially since we're foreigners here it strikes me that we meet up with the same people or bump into the same people. Even when we saw at the mall, right? It's super, you wouldn't think you'd bump into somebody at the like brand mall in the middle of town that you knew from some other thing on the internet, but it keeps happening here. And it seems, that seems to strike me as like a convention thing as well. Like it feels like we're meeting up with a crew. And if we came back next year, these foreigners that were here this year would certainly be at the next one. Because um, it seems like uh, at least the folks who flew out here are like diehard fans um, <laughs> for this particular TI. There's a WeChat group for English speakers at TI9. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them already know each other, even mm -hmm. though they're from different countries. Mm -hmm. um, when I was on the bus, I met people from Belarus, New Zealand, and uh, United States who all were friends. Mm -hmm. How uh, large is that group? I think it's over a hundred members mm. now. So, you know, it's really anyone who can find this WeChat group. They, they make tickets for the late game uh, and pass them out there. Uh, and, and people discuss and, and talk all the different countries' perspective. So we can definitely expect these people to have long-lasting friendships that probably next year will last. And the trust is really high amongst these folks. Mm. Like, um, in terms of, like, getting tickets for somebody who you met on the internet or like <laughs> planning out like events to do together. Once you get to a city you've never been to, like there's a, there's a lot of things that we struggled with to believe that people would follow through with things we planned, like before the trip, like meeting up at a specific space when we like don't know you and you don't know us. But that's also part of this like convention logic where like they trust that because you're putting in all this effort to Dota, that like your intentions are similar to them. It seems like to me. You're in the in-group, you're yeah, part of our family. And like, if you did something wrong, that would jeopardize your relationship to that community for like the next year or the year after that, et cetera. It seems like it's a longer game than just like this international What year. can you do, Ron? Well, you could, for example, you could like steal some tickets. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. In a game theory perspective, this is iterated prisoner's dilemma a lot of the time, which means that you want to be forming long-lasting relationships. It means that your reputation is your currency. I I met a guy on the first day who um, I think there's also that you know uh, if if there's a lot less foreigners you know per percentage of the audience, um, this uh, guy came up to me who was another foreigner and. I couldn't work out what he was asking me at first, but I think he was just looking for social interaction. And I got, <laughs> making, a total, making a total guess here, I assume that this might have been his first, um, 
like he was a big fan it might have been his first event and he wanted to find these communities that you guys have been hanging out right. with and all I could think of is like I think I know what you want and I'm really sorry I'm not that I'm not that person I, I'm I, <laughs> I'm really you know, well brain, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I you know I really hope that he found this group because it, I just got that sense that like you want this and there are a lot of people there doing doing that you know I was in Kamoba to wait everyone who didn't show up yeah. <laughs> and a lot of people just came to chat to me like who, who are you waiting for I said Chris who brought a prior and because I never met him I said I just went on to tables and asked people are you from the United States right and I said no <laughs> So Young Team was the only member of the team that made it to the Camel, yeah. which is a Australian sports bar in Shanghai <laughs> that is screen. It's one of the. It's the only. It's the only <laughs> bar in Shanghai, and yeah, it's Australian, but so it's the only bar in Shanghai that that, that, uh, that is screening the international. And we yeah. were gonna meet you, but the timing was all messed Have up. Have you been there previously? No, I went by. Um, one night and like basically walked in and walked out because I was like, this is not my scene. <laughs> <laughs> Where it's, are the gin really, tonics? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the scene. It's, like, it's really interesting to me that there's, you know, all these different ways to watch mm. around the city because a lot of folks are coming in from other parts of China mm. or actually they're um, Chinese folks who live abroad that yeah. are coming in and even mm. though they don't have tickets, they're finding yeah. other spaces. Venues, but the, yeah. it's not the kind of North American or or Anglophone style of uh, watching in a bar no. that seems to be the main way these uh, games are being watched. Um, it's all these other things like going to watch in a mall um, or, a cafe. or in a yeah right in a in an internet cafe. There are these other different modes. I just want to describe the bar because it's kind of bizarre. I walked in and it's just a regular sports bar like in in Germany or anywhere. And there's football match going on in screen, three screens, and there are five German-speaking guys sitting there drinking beer, and I ordered tea and waiting. <laughs> That's perfect. Three Germans drinking beer, and Yangshin comes in and orders tea. Yeah, and I sit <laughs> right below the screen, so they were all looking at me drinking tea. I'm teaching them a lesson. And then... <laughs> from Peter. And <laughs> I tested everyone, said, where are you? And is it Will? said, did... There is a esports session, and I stood up and asked the waitress, waitress like, is there a Dota session? She said, what is Dota? I said, it's, it's like people watching other people playing computer. She said, oh, people who sit there. I said, yeah. <laughs> 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 then she directed me to the inner chamber. It's as large and it's crowded. It's at least 30 to 40 people. Was it screen. outdoors? It's indoor, uh -huh. indoor, indoor. Uh -huh. And there are like three screens and a ping pong table. Yeah, and a pool. Tip, uh, tennis, sorry, pool table. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they were just playing. And when I was trying to find really people just came to ask me like, who are you looking for? And they added me, they want to add me in that group. Did you get in? Um, I don't have Wi-Fi at the point. Yeah, oh. <laughs> and everyone says, "Oh, Chris brought a prior. He's really awesome." <laughs> <laughs> that might get edited down. We want to maintain the reputation oh, of Chris brought a prior. Well, we'll either do his name or the fact that he's. Well, I think it's always going to be like Microsoft Sam saying some other name, but and you can change the awesome. He's really awesome. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what we're gonna do. <laughs> I, I can actually transition uh, pretty nicely yeah, from this. Yeah, I think so. One thing we noticed is that um, 
like in terms of the cosplayers today and this kind of like fan community, there were a lot of women um, kind of doing this work. And uh, TL has worked on an organization called AnyKey. And I just wanted to um, ask a little bit about uh, kind of gender in esports and like maybe how this relates to Dota and kind of this particular um, kind yeah. of area. Because we've also, all of us have commented that like it's kind that. of interesting. Even Kips mentioned that uh maybe in an event with a hundred players uh in terms of like um population you would expect one or two women players in that group to kind of be represented at an event like this uh so i mean the the quick punchline to this is uh yeah we ha don't have nearly enough women playing mm -hmm. but women mm -hmm. have always been present in esports and they are incredibly important for the industry yeah. to function like it, they do tons of behind-the-scenes work. And in, I don't know a whole lot about Dota, but I, I would certainly shout out, uh, you know, Dota Buffs was founded by a woman, hmm. uh, Lollipop. She's fantastic. And the one other Dota event I went to, PGL, I met a number of fantastic women who are avid fans, and one is a physical therapist who does work with esports players. So they're, the, the women are out there, and they're present. They just are not at the machines competing which mm -hmm. is a huge there's lots of reasons for that um it's multi-faceted <laughs> yeah. and it has to be tackled in multifaceted ways but they've always been a part of esports what are some of the ways that um something like the international would tackle this issue like what what are some like first steps do you <laughs> it's, so it's, a, it's a big question. it's a big yeah, i yeah. mean it's because it's a it's a a cultural, social, culture, structural so, issue. So maybe it's not the international, but like the other way around, like yeah. some of the clubs or like uh, even like Dota communities. Yeah, what, what? I th yeah, I think it's everything from what's happening in small grassroots communities all the way up to how events like the international and many others are thinking about their audiences. Mm -hmm. So who do they conceptualize as the valuable audience member, mm -hmm. and how does who they conceptualize as the audience? shape who they get as sponsors how does it how are they hailing different kinds of audience members and it's not just around women we can talk about the racial and ethnic diversity mm. yeah. of esports too so it's it's really it's a very multi-pronged issue and i mean that's part of what we do at any key is like we do everything from like let's make some role model videos because people say like if you see somebody doing what you think might be interesting it matters all the way to like let's teach people how to create uh, moderation techniques and channels. Could you, yeah. talk, like, what is, could you talk a little bit about AnyKey? Uh, AnyKey was uh, co-founded by myself and Morgan Romine uh, several years ago, and it really it started because Intel, because of the way they'd completely bungled Gamergate, decided to spend millions of dollars for diversity initiatives. Mm -hmm. And one of the people I knew at ESL, Michal Bliss, uh, Carmack, um, he he has worked with Intel for a long time, and he knew I we cared about this stuff. And he sort of said, like, "Oh, could we do something about this? Like, mm -hmm. could we get in on that sweet sweet Intel money <laughs> and create something?" And so uh, we got some funding from Intel to do that. So we and Morgan's an anthropologist, has a PhD in anthropology from UC Irvine, and mm -hmm. so um, yeah, we just have tried to kind of do what we think of as like research informed initiatives. Right. 
So and if someone wants to find out more about any keys, yeah. you can go to anykey.org. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also have a Discord server. Uh, yeah, so there's and there's different kinds of resources there. Nice, yeah. fantastic. Awesome. Well, let's thank. Uh, well, maybe you should do this. Oh yeah. Well, let's thank our guests <laughs> here tonight. Uh, thank you so much for joining us in the studio. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Such a pleasure to have you. Uh, you're listening to Every Game in This City. Mm-hmm. Every Game in This City is a podcast on the Idle Thumbs Network. We've recorded season two in a hot living room in Huangpu during the summer of 2019. Our theme music is a cover of Dota by Bass Hunter, a Eurodance track he released in 2006 featuring samples from the original mod. You can find us on the web at everygameinthis.city, as well as most social media networks and podcasting platforms. In two weeks, it's finally day six, and we'll follow the tickets and talk about the many money games we've been playing around the Mercedes-Benz arena, typing in digital codes, gambling on virtual drops, interviewing an insider about the Chinese esports economy, and ultimately trying to collectively cash out the morning of the finals.